fun stuff. Fun stuff. Thank you for being here. So. Oh my gosh. I. Uh, How long have we known each other? It has <laughs> been thirty years. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just start with that. I, I, I wanted you to come because we're doing this podcast based on things that I'm doing in my life that are focused around accessibility. Okay. And accessibility, the mindset of accessibility, not the feature set of accessibility. And I don't know if you realize this, but so here I am sitting with my dear friend, Kathy Faulkner. <laughs> and Kathy doesn't know this, but oh, she dear. was the first person in the work world that overlooked the my need for accessibility with attitude and i had just gotten out of the hospital and i was going back to school i went to bellevue community college and was taking radio classes because my whole life i had wanted to be a dj and i had you know a year and a half before crashed my motorcycle and paralyzed myself put myself in a manual wheelchair major life change just slightly so i was trying to figure everything out <laughs> And I had always wanted to be a DJ, and I grew up listening to Steve Slayton and then listening to you. And You, you know, grew up listening night. to Steve Slayton. I grew up listening to Steve right. Slayton, and then I was listening to you later. And, uh, you know, late night Kathy Faulkner and was calling in on my Thursdays, you know, to try and win my 100 bucks on Double, Double Shot, Shot Thursdays Thursday. at KISW. Wow. And when I went to Bellevue College, I, I got the opportunity to get into the radio station and started working there and thought, you know, this is my chance to get into KISW. So I came down and asked, I think David Samp, yeah, okay. it might have been Samp, if I could be an intern. And he said, no, we don't have any openings for internships. And I know Dave Douglas at the time was doing a research. That's right. And Dave yeah. was doing the research thing. Mm -hmm. So in school, I did my business presentation on Nationwide Communications, had my dad pull their Dun & Bradstreet records, <laughs> did an entire interview <laughs> about KISW, an interview wow. with Dave and Dave Douglas and everybody nice. in the front, yep. and then took made my own application for internships and turned my report in because I had talked to you mm -hmm. just briefly, and you called me up and said, all right, you got your interview for an internship, you want to come in. So that's where it began, was me showing up at KISW on Aurora, and basically asking you to be an intern and and i want to talk about the mindset oh, man. that you had at that time when you saw me come in i've been thinking about it a lot because the interesting thing about my my brain and i don't know if this is an accessibility mindset or not is looking back on the 30 years i don't have it historically categorized i know i remember many of our pivotal conversations but i remember the first day that you came in because just in front of the studio door there was a little desktop that had the ap printer right and it had the news it was the news ticker tape for those who get news on your phone now it was this rolling piece of paper that okay so that was going the whole time and it's next to a very narrow stairway that either went up to kind of a lounge area or did a sharp turn, not a sharp switchback uh, to another set of steep stairs up to my narrow office that the office, if you got up there, wasn't wide enough for a wheelchair. Right. Because it was just filled with records and crap. Cool crap, but crap nonetheless. And... The thing that struck me about you is 
as far as the mindset of KISW, you were already living it because you were a fan of the radio station and you were a fan of music and you knew the local area, which transplants to Seattle is hard. And the first quiz is how do you pronounce this city? And we would hold up the word Puyallup, Puyallup. <laughs> <laughs> or Yakima or, you know, Enumclaw. Yeah. And so, um, so you, you ticked all those boxes to start. And I'm like, so how do we, how do we do this? You know, it, it, it takes an adjustment on my part because at the time you're coming in, the music scene was absolutely starting to explode. Right. And I just became music director. So <laughs> my workload went. Yeah. Exponentially, <laughs> unrealistically. Oh, my God. And so as an intern, not only is it a chance for you to Im immerse, but my whole job was changing too. So I didn't know what I was going to need. And usually I needed it after I learned that I needed it. Right. So that's unfair to you. So I think I worded it where, you know, you had the job, but I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to ask this without offending you. Right. But let's address the elephant in the room. Right. We're sitting in front of the staircase up to an office. And when I'm in the studio, most of it involves somebody going upstairs and getting stuff for me because I can't leave the studio. And you ditched your wheelchair and started crawling up the stairs. And I think you you yelled, what do you need when you got up to the top? And like, well, if he's willing to dive in, I'm willing to dive in. And that's that's how I got into radio anyway is learning how to say yes instead of, yeah, but I don't know how. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so. And it was pretty awesome because the mindset of you saying, well, let's figure it out, then allowed everybody else on the radio station to go, wait, wait a minute, how is he going to do that? So is that what that? you're referring to mm -hmm. of in the first work? Like, yeah. I didn't come up with reasons why you couldn't have the job? No, that's exactly right. Instead of you saying, well, gosh, everything that we do is in my office up two flights of stairs, I jumped out of my chair, obviously, and just made a point that yeah, I Yeah, you totally care. made a point. And yeah, right. you also just accepted that point and went, oh, all right, if you're willing to try, then so am I. And it, quite often things end up starting with a negative mindset, whereas in Agreed. that whole situation, my very first, I mean, that was my first interview for a job being in a wheelchair when I had I been had told no by many that now that you're in a chair, I didn't screw it up. <laughs> no, you didn't screw it up. We wouldn't be talking here. Here we are, thirty years later, know, right? You know, and there's some, there's some, there's some water so under stories. the bridge. Yeah. yeah. Well, that the those other, uh, you know, folks in the station that I could list many of, then they stepped up because all the records, you know, even in the studio, in the production studio, they're know, high up. They were high up. Yeah. So somebody, and I don't know who it was to this day actually took one of those alligator grabbers that you know that people use mm -hmm. and they put suction cups on it in a in a vertical way so i could reach up above my head and grab a record because i was the one who would grab the records and then lay them out for you to then mm -hmm. be able to play because we were using records back then nothing was digital oh, and somebody days. i showed up two days later and somebody had made that for me mm -hmm. i don't even know who it was so just that whole mindset of, oh, and then I came in and then the production studio was cleaned up and there wasn't shit everywhere <laughs> because there was when I started, but I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to get to the board. So yeah. that whole mindset yep. of just saying yes instead of saying no and figuring it out. And, you know, and, and I also had to be 
capable of saying, hey, there's some things that I'm just not going to be able to do. Right. And that's okay because then people would get worried. Well, how does he do this or how but does that's he do that? Part, that's part of radio at that time. Radio nowadays is very different and I can understand not being able to understand the context. Every day when I would come into the radio station, it was show prep's kind of secondary, but each show, each day, each event, you have to find a way to make it work. Right. It is not about modifying or settling. This is the shit we're dealt. How do we... How do we spin it? How do we maximize it? How do we have fun with it? How do we embrace it? And and oddly, this is the negativity that goes with it. If anything can go wrong, will go wrong, and what are you going to do about it? Yes. Not, oh, that sucks. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'm can, gonna... You can whine about that later, but that right. that is what every single day was, was problem solving. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about when things go bad. <laughs> I want to bring my dog into this for a minute. And I, I'm actually, even though you and I swore silence on this, my Rottweiler, Kyra, liked to chase flashlights. Uh-huh. Remember? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yes, uh, I do, actually. And what Kathy would do during her shift is in between really long songs, she would run out in the hall and you would you would take the flashlight up and down the hall because Kyra would chase it. And one day... In an attempt to tie... To try and catch the light. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, when she ran in... And I was in the production studio, and all of a sudden, KISW went off the air. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. I do. <laughs> there, was a, there was a whole lot of oh shit. It's like, oh, yeah. So what are we going to do about it? That's what are we going to do? And I'm on the phone with the engineer, and you were trying to figure stuff out, and we realized that she had run underneath the mixing board mm-hmm. and unplugged it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I don't know what happened. It just all of a sudden wasn't working. What were you doing? I don't know. It was it's the oddest thing. <laughs> yeah, those, those were good days. So yep. so let's talk about fun as well. Um, we started taking advantage of my wheelchair and I want you to tell the story about the about the wow. The balls. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things about concerts at that time. Um, we were in a, a highly competitive radio market. I believe it was a three-station competition. It was. KXRX, uh, KISW, and KZOK. Yep. Ha- com- major competition. So promoting at shows and trying to own the show, whether it was yours or not, was the challenge that was before us. So one of the things the promotions department uh, created were these enormous balloons enormous balloons and the challenge with increased security at the door was getting them inside and then you know you could tell a KISW employee because we were all lightheaded after blowing it up because it it took a lot of work to get them blown up so do you remember which show it was was it ACDC it was either ACDC or KISS KISS yeah Yeah. it might have been KISS and and KXRX or was it KZOK? I think it was K. It was Kiss. It was probably KZOK. It was KZOK because yeah. it was Kiss. Because I think and they kind of deal with the promoter. The show. Yeah. And we didn't really like that. No. 
know. So I think we got, and they were yellow. They were bright yellow. Yeah, with I, a still black have, I still have. I still have one. Yeah. And I think we must have been able to put 150 or 200 of those underneath my chair, wrapped in a black towel. Yep. And then. And I then think what did I you had, say? Because they wanted to search your wheelchair. Right. And I played catheter. Yeah. I had my medical equipment down there, and I put a catheter right on the top of the, of the <laughs> towel. So when the dude went down to search me, yep. he would. And then I think I had five tickets to the show because you can only use a ticket to get in once. So I would go in and then give them to everybody, and then I would run back out to the KISW truck and get another load and go into and a go back in door and go in a different door because you could. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you know, do what we can. And then the entire stadium between the opening act and the headliner was filled. Filled with those KISW balloons. Oh, yeah. So yeah, we got ourselves in some trouble. That yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but I mean, it goes back to, you know, your uh, mischievous spirit is one of the things that I find so endearing, because one of my first breaks at a concert was when um, it was another. I think it was Bloister Cult. It was a show that that KZOK got that KISW didn't. I don't know why, but whatever for whatever reason. And so I got there really early, and I went to the back door, and I said, "I'm I'm the DJ here to do the announcement." And they're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and so I go in, and it wasn't our show, and it wasn't my announcement, but I got there first, and nobody asked, so I didn't offer, and and I got on stage at their show, and said, "Hi, I'm Kathy." From yeah, KISW. so it's <laughs> so. You know, the variables are different, but, you know, we're kindred yeah. spirits in oh, yeah. that in, in that mischievousness. And it's very much a part of KISW's history back in the early days. It's yes. what you and I were brought up with the likes of Slayton and Langan and West and Crow and Hovanes and, and just this, you know, mischievous, passionate spirit. So. <laughs> Which was so perfect for the Seattle music scene because yeah. that's what that whole scene became was the... The big middle finger to everybody else. Yeah, and as you as you read and and watch and hear interviews from many of the musicians of that time, they grew up with that. That's right. And and I remember uh, Charles Cross made a, 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 a social media post around the time that KISW turned fifty and and said, you know, we, there's got to be some scientific experiment that can be done on these musicians that grew up with Slayton and. Langan and West and Rowan Hovane. And you. And, and me. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, and how that influenced their musical taste in what ended up being their musical creation. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a powerful thing. It is, which kills me now when I'm listening to those bands that we had that are now on KZOK because that's the classic. Because they're old enough, yeah. You know, I know. 20 plus, because that was 30 years ago. Again, I know. You know. When we first started. I know. So, so I want to you know, dive back into accessibility a little bit. Mm -hmm. You've had a history with dealing with accessibility. Yeah. For me. Yeah. So give me just a little bit of, of where that came from that then allowed you that mindset to not be afraid of, mm. of me being in a chair. My sister, who's 10 years older than me, was born with moderate cerebral palsy. She was born breech and born blue uh, in the late 1950s. So, so um, accessibility and disability has evolved at a glacial speed. <laughs> um, but because of that experience, um, my folks uh, chose to adopt their second child. So I was adopted into the family. So my sister always had 
accessibility issues. And without going into the intricacies of it, I think some choices in how people choose to embrace it um, as a can't or a can. And I was given the can and I watched my sister being given the can't. And through a lifetime of that, I almost had, I felt like in many instances, no judgment, it's just the time and, and how, what it was at the time. Um, I felt like I had to do more because I was told that my sister couldn't. Now you meet my sister today, she is as strong-willed as I am, <laughs> fiercely independent, and would choose rather to do it herself than to ask for help, and talks about how hard it is to ask for help. So in spite of all efforts to say she can't, <laughs> she can, she has, she does. Um, the burden on either side and living with it day to day of the person that doesn't have the disability and the person who does have the disability. I think there's parallel issues and weight on people's shoulders of what they're expected to do or not to do. So that was my day-to-day -day life growing up. Um, I went more the career route, which my mom was really excited about. But when I told her it was radio and rock and roll, she was kind of freaked out. <laughs> Understandably <laughs> and she so. She cried a couple of times. Um, and I was really young. I started at 15. Right. So being a woman, 15 years old, wanting to start at a major market radio station with no prior radio experience, all I was told was, we don't do that. You don't do that. You can't do that. There's no way. You're not going to make that happen. And so whether that was my upbringing <laughs> or my tenacious spirit or a combination perfect storm of my love of music and wanting to be a part of something special, um, I'm like, you tell me I can. I'm just going to show you I can. So that mindset, you, you brought up a couple of things that I really want to touch on. One being that it's not all about the person with a disability. Mm -hmm. It's about the people around the person with a disability. Mm -hmm. And the burden is on both yep. in terms of that mindset. Yep. And what's interesting for me in, in playing in this accessibility world is that I have to get out of my own way sometimes. <laughs> and remember that you are also dealing with the, the, the mindset of what makes the world accessibility accessible mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. and that's sometimes that's hard for the person with the disability to understand that there's as much burden on everybody around them because right. they get self-centered and focused and i say we i should say get self-centered and focused because it's about me but it's not really about me and i i learned that right in the beginning again you know the radio station was just such a great experience for me because <clears throat> there was that elephant in the room and not just that first day. And you some and I people met. can talk about it, and, <clears throat> and some, people some people can't. can't. And different people with different situations or disabilities. Some are willing, and some are not. And I love talking to little kids because little kids, I can They're say, fearless. "Hey, They're you fearless. can. It's okay to to ask someone. Can I ask you what happened to you? Yeah. And a little kid will come up and go, "Hi, can I ask what happened?" And then that person can say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Now I'm totally cool with it, but. Somebody else might not be ready to deal with it yet. Yeah. And the motivation. I mean, I, I think 
without delving into politics or other things, there's an element of being able to converse. That's right. That needs um, humility. Mm -hmm. It needs compassion. And it needs a slower pace. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Because where I'm coming from, in my point of view, I can go off on an absolute tangent. And you're like, hold the phone. My target's like way over here. Right. Regardless of accessibility, regardless of your political stance, regardless of what you had for breakfast in the morning and your food intolerances. That's right. And if we can just include, like, remove a couple assumptions and add a couple clarifiers, I think how we communicate would allow more accessibility for we all have our buckets of shit oh yeah you know Seriously. i like to say everybody has their wheelchair mine's just more obvious yeah you know i mean that's that's my take of well we yeah. all have our thing yeah now mine's just more obvious so it brings it to the forefront yep and then people are afraid to talk about it because they don't want to offend me well i don't get offended easily there's been a couple of times when i've gone really so what i've found is that when people are approaching me with whatever the situation is, I have a lot of grace. I just, a couple of weeks ago, we were actually at a bar up in Snohomish, and this kid came up to me, and he had a few, and he went, I just want to say congratulations for being in the bar, for being in the bar tonight. I could have taken that one of many ways, and I right. know many who would have been pissed off at him belittling me in that way, but yet, I just looked at him and went, thank but you. But was he? I appreciate that, because yeah. I don't know his story. Yeah. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what experience he's had. Maybe he's got a best friend who didn't get out of the house, or mm -hmm. maybe somebody did something worse. Or yep. So, for me, I just said, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And then a little while later, <clears throat> I was trying to get back into the bar, and there was a million people, and he saw me, and he moved butts out of my way, got me all the way to my table, asked me if I wanted a drink. I said no, gave, him a gave me a hug, and went, thanks again, man. You being in a wheelchair just inspires me being out. And that makes me smile. It just makes you wonder what his story That's is. That's right. And what I, what I get really irritated with is those who get pissed off at him for saying the wrong thing. His how approach is, could have been different. How I, is there a writer? Why does it have to be competitive and right or wrong? That's right. That's it's right. about the effort that's and exactly the intent. Right. You know, and the intent was super positive. And if he was intent on offending yeah. you, oh yeah, he would have come, you know, blazing out. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, that whole mindset of hey, let's just figure it out and fix it. Yeah. And I love that. And you also brought up another point that's that's huge in just society is asking for help. Yeah. It, I'm not good at it. <laughs> you know, and neither am I. But I, ha I have called you. You have. I have. And we've called each we've other. We've called each other. <laughs> That's right. Because in the beginning, you know, I was 22 when I crashed. Mm -hmm. And I had already traveled. I'd already ridden a motorcycle across Mexico and was living in yachts in, in Mexico and lived in Alaska as a guide. And mm -hmm. I'd already traveled. And here I am laying in a hospital bed at six foot three, you know, paralyzed, not ever being able to walk again, thinking, well, shit, I can do this by myself. And then realized immediately, well, maybe I can't. Well, now what am I going to do? And I was lucky to have the group of friends around me I did. And the nurses that were fantastic that kept me alive that taught me, well, if you don't ask for help, then you're weaker than if mm. you do. Because if mm -hmm. you do ask for help, you're now accessing the power of those that are around you. And as a group, we are so much stronger than we are. As yeah. And, and I, think, I think maybe just to mentally cope, I have always labeled it research. Wow, I've never thought about that before. Because I've never, I've tried very hard not to go into a situation ignorant. Um, because there's too many obstacles in, 
radio in the 80s, hello. There, there were so <laughs> many obstacles and very specific tracks for a woman in rock radio. Right. And I wanted a different track. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. So, so I did a lot of research. Right. Information interviews, um, shadowing, um, getting as much ammunition as I could in the background so that I could carry myself because people were set up for me to fail. Right. It was their mindset. It was the mindset that I was not if, but when. And so it's like, well, obviously, if I ask for help, I don't know if the motivation is sincere of the information I get. That's true. It's a very competitive market. Um, that said, I worked at a radio station. I started there at the age of 15. So I had a lot of big brothers right, right. that were very powerful at the radio station. And I had a lot of people that took me under their wing. If you are a fan of KISW and you appreciate the strong male personalities on that radio station, you can hopefully be sympathetic to how awful my dating life was of having, <laughs> you know, 20 Five older brothers. Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> Gary Crow or Slayton or, or, you know, John Ballard or Scott Vanderpool or, yeah. you know, yeah. Like Wilkie probably did as well. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, there was there was a they lot. They called of, it like they they yeah. They, it, it was quite the initiative. No, you're not talking to Kathy. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now you you weren't allowed to date a rock no, star, Kathy. I'm no, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and and that's where help comes in different ways. Yeah. You know that that it it's it's around. I didn't notice it as a kid because my parents and my friends were just always there. So it was a team, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize until I looked back, Oh my gosh, they were asking for help all the time. Yep. You know, and that's, and we were asking for help and, and it's just become such a negative thing that you ask for help and you're burdening somebody, but it's just right. so opposite of what I found. And if people are afraid of being a burden, it's almost like you mentioned getting in your own way. There is a desire to not be a burden that you end up, tripping over your toes and 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 creating a situation that's very challenging for both sides right that's you right. know yeah i remember when uh, one of my first shows that uh, i was just at i think i had just started interning and you got me tickets to go see the presidents at Mars. Oh, okay so i went down and was just kind of scoping them out and it was my buddy brian and i oh, that's a tight that's a tight and club is a tight club tight so club. anyhow uh, I was right in the middle of the mosh pit, you know, and those were good mosh pits of the yes, day. Yes, they were. I mean, even the presidents, the people just like to dance and jump up and down. There wasn't the punching mosh pit like Rage, but yeah, it wasn't quite. Were it wasn't quite to the diving tame. stage. But anyhow, that was the very first time that Barry got pushed up on top of the crowd, and I went in the mosh pit, and some big dude looked like Mister Clean. And he was like, you need to go up on the mosh pit. And I was like, okay. You know, being the stupid kid that I was. <laughs> and I only weighed like 175 pounds at the time. So these three guys picked me up and I'm crowd surfing in front of the presidents. And Chris was talking to me and was like, this is so cool. And I crowd surfed back and forth. And then I popped down. And then all of a sudden, some dude grabbed me and they wheeled me out of the club. And they kicked me out of Moe's because I was a liability to quote me and everybody around me. 
So I'm outside arguing with this guy because the ADA had just passed. The Americans with Disabilities Act had just passed. And I was like, you can't kick me out. There's this thing called the ADA, which I had no idea what it was. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the door opens up. And this guy was like, get the handicapped guy back in here. The band said they're not playing until you bring the guy in the wheelchair back. And somebody had run up on stage and told somebody they kicked me out. And they were like, that's it. Bring the guy in the wheelchair back in. Wasn't doing so it. It was yeah. awesome. So anyhow, we met Chris and the band that night, and got and we have pictures signed. Great with them. guys. And then here, fast forward twenty ish years later, Chris has got a band now, Casper, Casper Baby, Baby Pants. Pants. So my kids are in love with Casper Baby Pants, and he was doing a gig down in Kirkland. So I took my kids, and Brian has his kids, and all my buddies. We all met down there, and Chris saw us and was like, "Hey, Barry, how you doing? You know." And, I'm good. And he was like, why don't you guys just sit behind the stage? So we were up behind the stage and all of our kids were out in the front dancing to Casper Baby Pants. <sighs> and Brian and I just looked at each other and went, this was a full circle in our lives. Oh, yeah. Because 20 years ago, I was crowd surfing and now our kids are out there dancing mm-hmm. to Chris. Absolutely fantastic. That wow. So then just about two years ago, we were seeing um, Robbie Christmas is a really good friend of ours and he was opening for train i think and we were at Numos now well Moe's of the old day right and i have a picture of me with the twins oh. in the middle of the mosh pit in the dance floor where it had all started wow and I, and, and I ended up crowd surfing a lot uh over the years with my yes. wheelchair and to the point where i would show up at key arena which is now climate pledge and the head event staff guy you know the guys <laughs> with the yellow shirts and the headset would come over to me and go hey you not tonight all right <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I know who you are. You're the KISW guy with long hair. You're not going up on the mosh pit tonight. And I'd just say, yeah, okay, whatever, sir. You know, as he was pulling me off. Good luck with that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you became an attraction. You became part of the experience. (laughs) Yeah, well, I got to thank Gus. Um, You know, Gus from the old days, he ended up uh, at Funky Monkey. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at the EMP grand opening. Uh, I ended up in the mosh pit, and I was crowd surfing. That would be Metallica. It was Kid Rock, I think. Oh, okay. But anyhow, so, and and Snoop Dogg had either just played, or I don't remember the- The lineup was The lineup was awesome. Yeah. So, no, it wasn't Metallica, because they hadn't gone on stage yet. Okay. So, it was either Kid Rock, I think it was Kid Rock. But anyhow, so I was crowd surfing, and they pushed me all the way to the front, and then I popped over the front, and the event staff guys caught me, and were laughing and talking with me, and I hear my name. And I'm just like, oh, no, who knows me? And I look over, and it was Gus. And he went, dude, that was awesome. It was so fun to see you up on the crowd again. He goes, come with me. So he takes me around back, and he pulls me up on stage. Nice. So I'm on the backstage, and I'm, I think we were watching Kid Rock. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, this, the smell of, of male cologne and pot, and this huge hand comes around my shoulder and grabs me, and it's Snoop Dogg. And he's like, yo, motherfucker. He goes, that was the coolest motherfucking thing I've ever seen. He goes, that was so badass. And he's hugging me. And I look out in the crowd and I see, I think Emily, my wife, was oh out there. And, and Dave and Brian, some other guys, were just sitting there going, what the? Because I got Snoop Dogg laying on me. And he was just gone. And he was like, man, this is a, he's like, that was so cool. You crowd surfing up there, man. Motherfucker, that was fucking awesome. And he goes, you know, he goes, you got a pretty good seat. He goes, do you want to stay up here for Metallica? And I went, yeah, I'd love to see you from Metallica. He's like, I'll go take care of that for you. So then he walks away. Nice. And when they flipped the stage from Metallica, I sat right on the side of the stage because Snoop Dogg told somebody that I could. And it was awesome as I got home that night and I had a voicemail from my buddy PA. And he was like, <laughs> dude, 
He goes, I'm watching King 5 tonight, a local TV station. He goes, and they're showing the EMP grand opening concert. And they talk about how lovely the crowd was because there was this man in a wheelchair in the back who couldn't see. So the crowd pushed him all the way to the front. So he had a better view. And Pat went, you know what really happened was there was this drunk dumb shit in a wheelchair. <laughs> he was like, I'm going to go to the mosh pit. Next thing I know, he's on stage. And I was like, yeah, that pretty much summed it up. That was the old crowd surfing days. Yep. That was how it started. And you can focus on the fact that Snoop gave you access. Yep. You could focus on the fact that, you know, you are a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> but there's also, you know, if you're willing, other people are willing. That's right. It's a team effort. Yeah. It's totally a team effort. Um, I used you as um, the poster boy for attitude adjustment for many of my interns that followed you and many of my staff that complained about either how hard it was or I've been paying my dues, I should be given a chance. Like, we don't give, you make it happen. That's right. And you, I think it was after you finished your internship, you were heading off to Australia. Right, right. <clears throat> and um, at the time, the entire world was focused on one geographic region, and its name was Seattle. That's right. So if you had anything Seattle, the doors opened for you. So I think you asked for if we had any extra swag, and you were pretty humble about it, but I, we gave you a staff jacket and I think you had sweats and some t-shirts yep. and then I gave you a box. There's a, a cardboard box when CDs were made that hold, holds 30 CDs. Right. And I filled one of those for you yep. and I filled the knowns. And then I also filled it with unknowns That's right. and what you accomplished with that box and those few pieces of swag was very easy for me to say, I'm sorry, and you have a problem with what exactly? <laughs> you know, what do you need? Yeah. And how can we make this work? That's right. And that ended up. And you're not always going to get to what you need. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but how are you going to make it work? But that box, along with a couple of dats and our digital audio tapes, oh, yeah. opened up doors for me at radio stations all over the world. You had so much fun that i would just show up to a radio station in new zealand and say hey this is what i've got this is who i am put me on the air and i'll play music that nobody's ever heard before you know because you gave me some i mean it, there was the, the Alice. they didn't have record deals let yet right, or they right. hadn't been distributed yet yeah, or they, they were still battery in the and i yeah. had grunt truck and sweetwater and bathtub uh, gin know, bathtub and gin <laughs> i know yeah well, john actually johnny and i switched Goodness. yeah that's right and hammer box yeah we i had all of it it was fantastic yeah um so i had a great like most random experience and, and you were part of this too well i don't know if you remember the the when kurt passed yes and i got woken up at like four o'clock in the morning in australia Oh my God, Kurt Cobain died. Kurt Cobain died. I was like, and no, I was no, in Hawaii when it happened. Yeah. And it, no, it was a rumor. It was a rumor. Like, no, 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 mm. we think it's true. So I got on the phone and, and called and you know, found out that it was true. And then boom, they patched me into the, I think it was Triple X or Triple J, one of the national radio stations. Right. So here I am, you know, representing KISW. This is Barry from KISW, and I can actually confirm. I had talked to Damon and I talked mm. to you and and you know, got to confirm it. So I was the one who told australia that kurt had actually passed and which is an enormous it. responsibility it was crazy yeah. yeah but what was amazing about that same 
type of relationship that we had was we were in Auckland and Brian and I were there and there was this show called The Big Day Out, which was the Southern Hemisphere's Lollapalooza. (laughs) And we just happened to be in Auckland and realized The Big Day Out was there and Soundgarden was headlining. So I made a call. Well, of course you did. (laughs) And I called you. (laughs) And it may have been in the middle of the night. I don't remember because I had your cell phone. Well, that's all right. Everybody knows I don't sleep anyway. So We weren't at the station, but I called and went, oh, my gosh, Soundgarden's headlining. They're playing in three days. How do I get tickets? And you said, give me a call or give me a call in an hour. And Yeah, and then I called management. And then you called management. And then I called KISW, and then I got Damon. Mm -hmm. And Damon said, all right, you got two tickets waiting for you at roll call. And, oh, by the way, and I, no, actually, I think you had told me, by the way, Soundgarden's doing a private warm-up tour at a little club in Auckland. You've got four names on the guest list. Mm-hmm. So that night, Brian and I grabbed two random girls that we'd just been hanging out with and said, you guys like music. We knew that one of them was German, and she loved Soundgarden, and she loved Iron Maiden. And I went, what are you doing tonight? You want to go to a private show? So we went and saw Soundgarden that night, which was amazing, because I show up in my KISW coat. You know, all See, the when motivated, you don't have trouble asking for help. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so the next day we showed her, two days later, we showed up at the big day out, and we got to Will Call, and they just had two tickets for us. We were expecting, like, Wayne's World backstage passes. But nev- right. nothing ever goes smoothly, right? No, no, it didn't. But, hey, we had passes. We were good. Yeah. So the stadium was a 100,000-person stadium, and there were five stages around the stadium, and then there was two stages within the stadium, so they would do one on the north side and one on the south side, and the bands were alternating. And then there was this section around the side of the stadium, which was backstage that you weren't allowed to go to. But we had gotten ourselves stuck. So instead of having to walk all the way around the entire stadium. Yeah, because stadium, they close off the full circle. They closed for, yeah. the circle. Yeah. There was a fence, and Brian went, hey, if I pull the fence back, you can get in there. So he and I are running <laughs> backstage to get across, and Brian's I hear my bla- name. bad influence He's on awesome. you. Well, it might have been my idea. But. So anyhow, we hear my name. And we're in New Zealand, and somebody yells, Barry, with this you know sweet New Zealand accent. She's like, oh, my gosh, you two got your tickets before I got your passes. Come with me. Full access, all tour backstage passes is what you pulled off for us. Well, I did and I didn't. I mean, yeah, I look really cool, so I'll take the compliment. That said, the thing that was so refreshing for many of the musicians that came from Seattle was when they got to see family and friends outside of Seattle. When Pearl Jam would perform in Seattle, certainly I would be there and support them however I could. But I would spend my money to travel to Missoula or I would travel to Reno or (laughs) I would travel somewhere else where everybody and their dog doesn't want to be on the guest list. And and you have full access to the band because it's a familiar face in an unfamiliar territory. Right, right. And it ended up working great. And and it felt felt like the old days when it was just us in the clubs. (laughs) That's right. It's when the spotlight is kind of diffused. Yeah, well, Brian and I sat backstage, and he came up to me, and he was like, dude, I just peed by the lead singer of the Breeders. <laughs> and I was like, what? And next right? thing I know that Kim Thale and I are messing around with a camera, doing selfies before selfies were a thing to try and figure out how to get the little... There was that Nikon that would have like camera. a pivot, That's pivot right, lens. and we were playing yeah. around with that. And then the stage manager, and I cannot remember what his name was, he came up to me and went, well, where do you guys want to sit for the show tonight? Was it a tall guy? Uh, no, he was a little bit bigger guy. Yeah, he had a beard, actually, which was kind of Maybe random E-Rock. at the time. Yeah. Anyhow, he's like, Barry, where do you want to sit? 
And I went, I don't know, where, where can I sit? And he went, well, I tell you what, when the Smashing Pumpkins are done playing over on that stage, he goes, come meet me at the stage and we'll figure it out. And Brian and I sat on stage between Matt Cameron's drum set and Chris's guitars. You know, and Brian's like, dude, I love your wheelchair. You know? <laughs> because we, we had people come up to us in Australia for the next year and go, dude, were you the guy on stage at Soundgarden? And we're like, yeah, well, you know, long-haired wheelchair guy. <laughs> so, we, you know, just such an awesome experience. And, you know, the same thing I saw Queensryche in London. You know, and I'm wearing my KISW coat and in a wheelchair with KISW. It was like, what the hell are you doing here? Well, I'm a fan. You know, it was yep. it was fun to be a fan. And then the doors open. And then the doors open. And, open. and like yeah. you said, it, it it was not being afraid to ask for help, but also not being afraid to just push it a little bit and say, well, can I get with this? What's possible? What's possible? What's possible? Exactly. It's it's a phrase that, you know, there's three phrases now in my later years, minus my age. Um, that I practice daily. What am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? And what's possible? Right. And what's possible is the key. Yeah. You know, especially for me playing the wheelchair card because I have to play it every day, that there are some things that I've just had to admit are not possible. And that's fine. But most things <laughs> are possible. Yep. <laughs> and, and it comes to mindset, but also I, I'm curious when you ask what's possible, when somebody visually sees your wheelchair, do you see the difference in their mindset of, right. oh, do I have to accommodate you? Or, huh, how can we help you? You know, it depends. The most, for the most part, people want to accommodate. Um, and there's always a fear there of not being successful in accommodation. Or not understanding or what not would be helpful. knowing what would be yeah. helpful. I mean, you know, it's somebody who comes up to me, you know, I drive an old hot rod. So I've got my 68 Mustang. And yeah, you're just, hard to read. You just, are really hard to read. It just happens to be the easiest <laughs> car I've ever gotten in and out of. Really? Because the door opens up Why? 90 degrees, yep. and the, the level of my seat in the Mustang is the same level as my wheelchair. So the ah. transfer across, just it happens that the car I wanted as a little kid ends up being the ideal car for me being in a wheelchair. So the whole asking and getting accepting help thing, people will come up, and they'll do one of three things. Either they'll automatically pick my chair up and start pushing it in the car, which drives me crazy because they never they put it in the way you They need don't it. understand yeah. that they're just making it harder. But the attempt is good, and I'm usually nice. Oh, no, no, I got it, I got it. There's the, is there anything I can do to help, which I love, because 90% of the time I'll say no. I got a system. It's easy enough. Thank you so much for asking. But it's the people that stereotype when I pull into that disabled spot in my little hot rod and they haven't Prove seen my to me. chair yet. Prove to me that you're supposed to park there. That's right. Yeah. And they glare and they yeah. stare and they make, and I've got some awesome stories of people figuring out how stupid they were after they were stupid yeah. and said dumb things. We, we go through yeah. that. Part of my backstory as well is my husband had a stroke, a brain hemorrhage um, eight years ago that revealed stage four metastatic melanoma. Right. Which is the holy shit of the world. Yep. But with the stroke caused complete numbness on the right side and a um, deficit to his brain that he's now hit his new normal. So there's some there's some processing issues right. because of the processing issues. He qualified for a disabled placard. Well, to look at him because he doesn't have a bandaid on his forehead and exactly. because he's not wearing a sling and he's not sitting in a wheelchair. Um, the, the stairs are huge, but if his brain gets overtaxed, he can go from standing to laying on the ground in 15 minutes. So yeah. it's important to have that 
Absolutely. Access. And I'm all, all about people checking. Mm-hmm. It's just approach. There's a way to, there's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The little old lady swearing at me, you know, <laughs> is one of my favorites, you know, when she realized. We got our car blocked in. Oh, you're not, you're not supposed to be here. Like, well, you're blocking us in, so I guess we're here. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Oh, I've parked <laughs> behind people before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have a good time. Emily, my wife Emily, drives her crazy because we'll pull in in her Sequoia or her Forerunner, and we'll pull into the handicap spot. And then people will just walk over and give us the stare. We're too young. We don't we don't have that look. Yeah. How do other people know, know your story? Yeah, that's and I just smile and I've wait. known you for thirty years and I don't know your whole story. Yeah, you don't There's worry no about way. Us. Yeah. yeah. We're working on a book right now. I mean I learned some I learned something about our first meeting, the yeah. in, the interview. That that means yeah. so much to me. Well, me too. You know, and, and again it it comes back around to mindset. You know, it's you and I have both had similar attitudes. We both got our gigs at KISW basically the same way, right? Which is funny, and I didn't know that for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, we we you know pushed the envelope, and I, you I know, interviewed I was Slayton there. for a school project. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Yep. Yeah. So, you know that that whole mindset, you know, is what we want to talk about, and that people communicate in a way mm-hmm. that allows attitude to overcome inaccessibility. And it's not about disability per se. It's mm-hmm. about accessibility, and accessibility is a mindset. Yeah, and there's, you know, another word that comes to mind is inclusion. And inclusion can have a positive or a negative connotation to it, just like accessibility or disability can. And and it's just stepping out of my shoes and not pretending I know your shoes at all, but being willing to... You know, what size shoe do you wear and what do you like in shoes? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not being afraid to communicate. Yeah. You know? exactly. I mean, when Emily and I were first dating, it was the, if you don't ask, I don't know, you don't know. And I also don't know that you want to know. So if you and I can't communicate that way. Then and there shouldn't be a ask. judgment that you didn't ask five minutes before. No, exactly. And that you weren't, that you didn't wait to ask 10 minutes from now. Yeah. The time that you asked is just fine. Yeah. And, and. I uh, I love little kids because they're honest, brutally honest. Brutally and honest. So the you don't know this, but the the title of this whole podcast and actually the the title of my book that's coming up is "Don't Forget You Can't Walk," <laughs> and that was given to me by a four year old who, when the little kid in the preschool a little girl asked me how I get in the bathtub, and I didn't know how to explain to four-year-olds how I get in the bathtub, so I went to show them, and I put one hand on the front of my chair here, and I put one hand on my right tire, and I went to lift myself up, and a little girl sitting in the front <gasps> row went, don't forget, you can't walk. Oh, bless her heart. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and her mom was mortified. The teacher and I started laughing, and the mom was like, oh, my gosh, I am. And I went, don't apologize. I went, for one, she's the most honest person I've talked to in a month. And, and she's absolutely two, right. She just gave me the title for my book someday. <laughs> so. Well, Kathy, I, I love you so much. I can't, oh I can't my gosh. thank you enough for being here. It was just fun to talk to you and, and share a little bit with you. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it. Uh, first, I want you to tell your favorite story in, you know, in, in a minute and a half, your favorite story of all of your music stories. And then I have one last question for you at the end. I know. I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you Why do you do that? I know. Just because. Oh, just man. one story that anybody who knows music or knows you or that goes no effing way. There was a period of time 
when there was a serious question as to whether or not Pearl Jam 10 would ever break. Where the label was considering stopping their marketing money because they thought it was going to fall flat. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh. I know, right? And um, I was playing, and I didn't learn this story until a couple of years ago. I knew my part, but I didn't know the whole story. And so I'll tell you my part, because it's my favorite. Growing up in Seattle, I knew I had worked with Mother Love Bone. And when we lost Andrew Wood, it definitely took the air out of our sales. Yes. Um, not knowing if Stone or Jeff would be able to continue on into a new musical entity. So the cliff note version is when Mookie Blaylock got together, now known as Pearl Jam, my heart just filled with so much love that um, music continued to go on. Then I got a chance to listen to 10 from beginning to end and, oh shit, this is going to be absolutely huge. Right. Right? <clears throat> well, everybody assumed Mother Love Bone was going to be huge. So they're like, well, who's this? You talk about accessibility. Like, prove it. Who are you? Prove it. When 10 came out, there were two stations in the country playing Pearl Jam alive. One was KISW and one was um, Florida. Um, oh, God, I'm missing the call letters. Like, I'm so sorry. There were two of us that were playing the, the and, it, and, and the rest of the country was like, meh, kind of soft, not grunge, don't know, uh, you know, just kind of soft on the response. And in August of that year, um, that 10 was coming out, we were in Rock Candy when a live video was played. It was a live performance. <clears throat> and I was standing next to the label rep, and she said, uh, the single's not catching legs, and there's a chance that this is going to stop. The promotion of this band is going to stop. And you need, you need to tell them what you see, because you know what's going to happen. And I'm right. like, well, yeah, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be enormous. She goes, well, yeah, not everybody believes it. Wow. Not everybody understands it. Radio programmers are going, because they want whatever they want. Whatever. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so so she, she said, would you write a message or record a message or send something to the executives in New York and explain what you're seeing and, and encourage them to not be short-sighted? And I remember the first time that Eddie Vedder came into the studio of, KIS, uh, of KISW and either Mike Jones or Damon Stewart was interviewing him and I talked to him afterwards and he, he, it, it was, I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but whatever's going to happen is going to turn your world upside down. Are you ready for this? <laughs> and we had that kind of conversation. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just music. It's, and he talked about the organic experience of music. Right. And I'm talking about the bullshit of the business. Yes. And we were having this, this interesting conversation. So when I finally got to the point of um, putting this message together, I had that conversation in mind. I'm like, okay, I'm swamped. What I say isn't going to make a goddamn bit of difference. But all right, if you think so, I'm, I'll record a message. So I went into the production room, production room B. Mm -hmm. I lit a candle and I turned off the lights. 
<clears throat> and I turned on the cassette player on record. And I just started yammering into this cassette. Sorry, I'm losing <clears throat> my voice, but I just started yammering and talking about you can't always make a hit, but when you recognize that there's something that's different and it's making you uncomfortable, there may be something there that you just need to pause and look at it a little more carefully. And this is the case. I don't remember what I said. The cassette is missing. Oh. It's completely gone. But, and I didn't make a copy, and, and that's the one thing that I get, get yelled at now. It's like, why didn't you keep a copy? Right. Things were moving so fast at that time. We were just trying to keep up. And, you know, if this little message will help this band get a deal or, or, you know, I need to send a piece of paper to somebody else so that they can see how many, how many listeners are buying this cassette or, you know, so they can get a record deal or whatever. It's like, okay, whatever you need. Okay, we're here to help, right, you know, right. da, 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 da. So, <laughs> so um, the cassette was played for the executive staff at the, at the label. And then the executive rented a, um, a um, hotel um, meeting room. Oh my gosh. <laughs> brought their entire promotion staff in and lining the walls of this room were coffins. Coffins? The way that we market bands and the way we have marketed bands up to this point, it's over. It's a whole new era and Pearl Jam's a part of it. Wow. They doubled down. And whether it was my cassette or a team effort of going, hello, 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 um, my friend Debbie, who asked me to do the, the cassette, um, shared her perspective of the story that it made a huge difference. Wow. And each of all the bands, I mean, each band in Seattle, I have the honor and privilege to have a story for each of the bands. So... Pearl Jam's not on the top of the heap where the other bands doesn't have that close relationship for me. So I don't play favorites. Um, but in this, in this particular story, my journey with Pearl Jam has been flavored with magical moments like that, um, even still to this day, that um, my passion and my love for music, if it can inspire somebody else to check it out right um it is the most fulfilling feeling in the entire world it is isn't it yeah and makes it so worthwhile i mean i have not i have not cried in this entire thing and telling the story it's just yeah. to be able to share mm -hmm. um something that's so subjective as a musical experience that's right um it just it's so so special and then to have them get so big that if I'm giving away tickets and you announce on the air that I'm in a phone booth to hand out tickets and you see a 18 wheel truck jump a median and start heading straight <laughs> exactly. for you to try That's and get right. free Pearl Jam tickets, you're like, well, this is a whole nother form of excitement. Yeah, that on how big they are. Yeah, I was just watching the drop in the park the other day, trying to figure yeah. out where I was. You know? <laughs> and I found yeah. that interview, drop in the park. Um, talk about mindset. They weren't big enough. And um, because they were rock and roll, it was too scary to have uh, a show at Gasworks Park. And so it was shut down for what might happen, who might get hurt. Right. 
rather than embracing it of what do we need to do to make sure everybody's safe. That's right. And it took that extra six months to change the mindset from what will go wrong into how can we make this right. It's yeah. Drop in the Park's the perfect example. Exactly. And um, uh, the band did a press conference saying that the show was going to be canceled a week before. People still showed up because we didn't have the internet. So people That's that right. were coming from Boston still came from Boston right. <laughs> and hung out at Gasworks Park. And the ba Eddie showed up and sat with them and hung out. It, it was a special day. Well, and they made a special accommodation for me, too. Yes. Because they were worried about what that was going to be. And Barry was going to be in a special place, so I was safe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for being part of my life and for sharing and for that last story was just awesome. Um, and my totally random, not related to anything question that I love okay. to end with everybody is what's your favorite dessert? Creamsicle ice cream. Wow, I've never gotten that one before. Because a creamsicle and a stick is just beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Kate. I love you so much. I love you. All right. Thank you. You bet.